today we find ourselves returning back to the book of 1 Corinthians and with a brand new series that I've entitled Fight for the Prize. Now some weeks back, remember we took a break for Palm Sunday and also for Easter Sunday and then we had Sean McKeon who was there on April or here on April 2nd, but today uh, we're back. We finished our series entitled Start Being So Sensitive, which began in chapter 8 and ended with our last series, or ended with our last study, rather, of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. But if you're just joining us today to catch you up to speed, in chapter 8, Paul spoke about being sensitive to the needs and weaknesses of our brothers and sisters in Christ, our family members who who are struggling with things or maybe don't see things the same way that you do, that we wouldn't do anything that would cause them to stumble in their walk with the Lord. And 1 Corinthians 8, verse 9, you can look back there. It says, But beware lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, If food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. And the point that Paul was making was that if I feel that I am within my liberty or my right and really the knowledge of what is right before God, but in exercising that said right hurts someone's walk with the Lord, it's better not to exercise that right than to hurt someone's relationship with God. Really, for us as a church, it was an encouragement for us to Walk before the Lord in holiness, but also with sensitivity, that we would hear the voice of the Lord speaking to our hearts. And it really, I think, helped us as a church to be more concerned with the well-being of others than to selfishly look at what we can or what we think we can get away with. In our second study, which was in chapter 9, we looked at the position of those that are in spiritual leadership in the church. We looked at Paul as the apostle, as the laborer, and as the minister, and how Paul had authority given to him by God to oversee the things that were taking place in the church. But along with that responsibility, there was a great pressure and responsibility that goes hand in hand with spiritual leadership. And we saw the members of the church need to be aware of those things and be sensitive to those things as well. So you can get caught up in your study of 1 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 for the last two studies uh, on the app or on the website, and you can study along as we journey through the Bible. So now today, this particular passage of Scripture I'm very, very excited to be looking over. So often, we can get beat down with various things, circumstances, problems, things that transpire that a lot of times are just outside of our control, but we get sucked into them anyway. We don't ask for them. We don't even know how we have found ourselves in that situation. And there's nothing really like working so hard for something, but to quit at the end or have all that hard work and labor that we invested in all come to nothing in the last moments. Now, You don't need to raise your hands, but just to ask you this question to get you on track of where we're at today. I mean, have any of you ever tried and failed? You attempted something and you failed. Like maybe the first time you asked your wife out and she shut you down and it was not gentle. And maybe it was in the workplace, how you worked all month to meet your quota, so to speak. And then at the end of the month, you miss your target by one contract and how awful that feels 
Maybe you're an athlete and you, you train like a madman all year and practice so hard and then you lose the championship game after all the blood and all the sweat and all the tears. It's not a good feeling to fail, is it? It's not a good feeling. I've heard that it's absolutely terrible. I've never experienced that feeling of failure personally, but others have told me about it. I'm absolutely joking in case you're wondering. I have failed more times than not. But today, as we look at this passage of Scripture, we're going to be encouraged to fight for the prize. We're going to be encouraged from God's Word, which I think we all need, to keep pressing on and to keep aiming for the end zone, so to speak, to invest in that which does not and cannot fail. And that, my friends, is the work that we do for the Lord. That work never fails. However, with that being said, though the work of the Lord does not fail, sometimes the laborers, the workers, the ministers, the followers of Jesus do. And that's not what we want to have happen to us now, is it? That we fall. To fail at the end. To not finish well. To not finish strong. I think we could all say, I want to finish the race. I want to fight the good fight. I want to keep the faith, just as Paul said in 2 Timothy 4.7, at the end of his life, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I mean, isn't that what we want? Don't we want to finish well? Don't we want to finish what the Lord has called us to start? Don't you want to be stronger in the Lord at the end of your life than you were at the beginning of it? We don't want to regress. We don't want to backslide. We don't want to go in the opposite direction. I want to have the work of the Lord that He's doing in my life and doing through my life compound so that at the end I say, I have finished the race. I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. Well, let's begin in verse 19 of 1 Corinthians 9 with point number one, which is a servant of all. A servant of all. It says, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. In Mark chapter 9, verse 35, it says, Jesus told his disciples, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and the servant of all. Really, what Paul is saying here that he's doing in verse 19 of 1 Corinthians 9, he's just doing exactly what Jesus told him to do. What a great rule of thumb. What a great uh, ethos for life. Hey, you know, Jesus says this and I do it. He says, I am free from all men, but I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. In Mark 10, verse 44, Jesus said, And whoever of you desires to be first shall be a slave of all. So you and me, hey, we're free to do whatever we want and to make any decision that we're going to make. I can decide to do what I please or I can decide to do what the Lord pleases or what pleases the Lord. And even better yet, as a Christian, we can find ourselves in that sweet spot where I actually desire to do the things that the Lord desires. Paul says that he made himself a servant, meaning he has given himself wholly to one's needs and service that he might win. Nowadays, we don't talk about wins too much. I mean, you get to the professional level and they'll talk about winning and losing. 
But nowadays, losers get trophies, right? That's just the way it goes. Oh, you know, you lost, but you get a trophy anyway. And, and we're losing this concept of competition and winning and working hard and the achievement itself and the investment of dedication and fortitude. He says, I have given myself to win the more that he might gain the more. Might I just say that wins and gains come by service in the spiritual realm. Wins and gains come by service. You know, I think of sports teams getting to win, and right now we have the NBA playoffs. You know, and that's happening, and that's great. If you have time to watch those, every now and again I try to sneak something in. Hudson, my son, he's playing baseball, and he's on the Chicago Cubs, and it's the only time in my life that I ever cheer, Go Cubs! I, I posted something that I secretly whisper, go Dodgers, after every time I say, go Cubs, just to balance it out. But he's on the Cubs, and, and uh, they won a game last week, and it was great. Hudson went one for three yesterday, he hit a triple. He's doing really well, and the kids are excited about getting the win. He says, I've given myself to be a servant of all that I might win the more. That word win in the Greek can also, also be translated gains. Gain, so winning and gaining. I think of this, uh, 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 this meme I saw on Instagram was this massive bodybuilder, right? Just absolutely what in, the, in that realm they call yoked out, where he's just bulging, you know? And, and he's raising his hands before lifting those weights, and he says, thank you, Lord, for these gains I'm about to receive right now. And I thought about those things, winning and gaining, through service. How Paul is saying, I've made myself the servant of all men. I don't have to. I'm free to do whatever I want. But I want to see souls won. Paul wants to see people saved from their sins and come to a place where they have a personal relationship with Jesus. That's a win for him. That's a gain. That's what he was all about. And it came through him being like Christ and serving In Mark 10, verse 45, again from the Gospel of Mark, Jesus said, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, I don't know if you realize this in your own life, we're not predisposed to serve. I get an education so that I don't serve. I make X amount of money so that I don't serve. I only serve to get ahead to the next thing so I don't have to serve anymore. We're not predisposed to serve. We're not predisposed to give. We're not predisposed to share. We're not predisposed to these things because it's my time and it's my talent and it's my treasure. It's interesting. In the Gospel of Luke, there was a rich man who came to Jesus and said, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus heard how he had kept all the law since he was young and that he does these good things. And it says, when Jesus heard all that this rich man said, Luke 18, verse 22, Jesus said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. See, this rich man was at a fork in the road. He could pursue only one thing or the other because in his life, his God was his riches. 
And Jesus, seeing that, said, you need to go one way or the other. Would it be Jesus or would it be riches? And in Luke 18, 23, it says, when the rich man heard this, he became very sorrowful, for he was very rich. All that Paul did as a servant of the Lord equaled great gain for him, and all that he gained apart from the Lord, he counted as loss. Let me say that again. All that Paul did for the Lord, he counted as great gain. All that he did apart from the Lord, he counted as loss. In Philippians 3, verses 7 and 8, it says, But what things were to gain to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. We don't realize that the path up is actually down. The path to greatness can only be traveled in servitude. See, the work of the Lord brings huge gains in the life of the believer. Huge gains in faith and character. Huge gains in strength and perseverance. And all that you do for the Lord must be done as the Lord would do it. As a servant. In order to be used by the Lord, and maybe you've been wondering today, and you're like, I really would like to be used by the Lord. Maybe the Lord for some time has been stirring up your heart where you're thinking, man, I know that I should, but then logic kicks in. I just don't have the time for that. Look at the responsibilities that I have now. Look at all these other things that are pulling me in different directions. I love, I would love to be used by the Lord, but um, look at my schedule. It's packed. I don't know if I can make room for that. You may desire to be used by the Lord, but now it's time to give of yourself and see the Lord's work fulfilled in your life. So that's what he's saying. Paul made himself a servant of the Lord that he might win the more that he might gain more. You think, I thought you have to lead and be the boss in order to gain. No, when you're following the Lord, you do as our Lord Jesus would do, and as a servant, you win the more. And here's how Paul's service played out in verse 20, and this is point number two, all things to all men. And he says, and to the Jews I became as a Jew that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law as without law, not being, he says parenthetically, without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became as weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Now, if you're taking notes... You might want to jot down Acts chapter 21, verses 23 through 26. Paul is recorded participating in a Jewish purification ceremony. He didn't do these things because he had to, for he was free to do whatever he wished, but because it would open up an opportunity to share the gospel with the Jews. See, a practicing Jew would not associate himself with someone who was ceremonially unclean or impure. To be able to minister to the Jews, he became as one under the law of Moses that he might win the more. He removed the barriers that can be placed in front of the gospel. This is an interesting concept. He's not saying, I need or I believe, rather, that I am righteous through the law, but in order for me to minister to the Jewish community, 
I understand what language they speak. And this really connects us back to our study in chapter 8, where I'm not only being sensitive to the needs of other believers that they might grow spiritually, but also to non-believers that they might come to know Jesus personally. Now, I already mentioned that we have the NBA playoffs going on right now. And in the East, we have the Indiana Pacers and the Cleveland Cavs. And let's just say you are a Christian. You're a Christian, and you want to witness and share the gospel with all the ungodly Cavalier fans. And you come up to them with your Indiana Pacers jersey on during playoffs to share the gospel with them. That could be a barrier because they already don't like you because you're not wearing the right jersey. Right? It's like sharing the gospel with a Raiders fan and you're wearing a Chargers uniform. Don't ever do that. That could be an immediate problem. See, if you weren't ceremonially clean to the Jew, you weren't wearing the right jersey. Man, I'll put on a Milwaukee Bucks jersey if it helps me preach the gospel. Right? You're understanding who the people are that you're talking to and that you want to share the gospel with. So now again, in verse 21, he says, to those that are without law as without law, and he's talking about those that aren't under the law of Moses. He says, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. And I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now, Paul is not saying that he turns outlaw to minister to the outlaws. He's not saying that at all. What he's saying is for those that don't live under the confines of Judaism... And the ceremonial laws, he doesn't bother with such things because it wouldn't be to the advantage of the gospel being presented to that people group if he washed his hands a certain way. To the weak, he became weak. Those that were weak in conscience, to those that were feeble, he was gentle. He became what he needed to be in order to communicate the gospel effectively. Now, excuse me. Now, many people, and maybe you've heard this before, who have quoted verse 22 without seeing how it was, supposed, it was supposed to be in context with verses 20 and 21, where they say, hey man, I'm just becoming all things to all men. I'm just becoming all things to all men that I might preach the gospel and I might share with them. I'm just becoming all things to all men that I might save some. And so in order for me to relate to those that are drinking at the bar, I knock back a few you know, shots in order to relate to those that are drinking so that I can share with them the gospel. Man, in order to relate to those that smoke pot, bro, I smoke pot in order to relate the gospel to them. And you hear people like this. Well, let's get one thing straight here. God does not call us to sin in order to reach sinners. And Paul is not saying that he goes against God to relate to those that are going against God. That's why he says in verse 21, to those that are without law as without law. But then he says not being without law uh, toward God, but under law toward Christ. I mean, maybe if I go and rob some liquor stores or go on a ride-along for a drive-by shooting, I can witness to those guys. Well, if that sounds ridiculous to you, then good God has granted you exceptional wisdom. (laughs) But you'd be surprised. 
by the things, some of the things that people come up with from this verse, like, oh, it's okay to date a non-Christian so that I can witness to her or him, or I'll move in with my girlfriend so I can share with others that are in that lifestyle. Why is Paul doing this? So that, is it so that he can gain more followers on Twitter? Is he doing this so that he can gain popularity? Is it so that he can gain more respect? No. What was it all about? It's so that he might win souls to the Lord. That was it. These things that I'm doing aren't compromising my walk with the Lord or not causing me to be in an environment where if someone were to look at me and the people I'm supposedly witnessing to, they wouldn't be able to tell a difference. He's not putting himself in that kind of situation. Because listen, it's hard enough following Jesus as it is and to put yourself in the den of iniquity, so to speak, and try to maintain your purity before the Lord. He's not saying, I sin to reach sinners. He's talking about, hey, I'll wear a Cavs jersey if it helps you minister to the Cavs fans, so to speak. So he might win souls to the Lord. And this leads us to our third and final verse this morning. In verse 23, he says, now this I do for the gospel's sake. That's your answer. Why is he doing this? He says that I may be partaker of it with you. Do you not know, verse 24, that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Do you imagine reading that when Paul wrote it? How does that hit you right now as you're sitting in your seat reading the same letter that was sent to the church in Corinth? And he's telling you, hey, you, you run in such a way that you might obtain the prize. Oh, well, what about them? And what did they tell you when you're running a race? You don't look to the left. You don't look to the right. You don't look who's behind you. You run and you finish your race. You run your race to win the prize. See, the Christian life is a fight. No doubt about it. It's a battle. We fight against evil constantly. We war against the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and and the pride of life. But we've been given spiritual weapons and the whole armor of God. And the Bible talks about the warfare that happens spiritually. But the Bible also speaks of the Christian life as a race. And, you know, quite frankly, myself included, sometimes it's just hard to run the race. But who in the world ever said it was going to be easy? And what great things have ever been brought about by ease? Sometimes it's hard to run the race because, quite frankly, we're just out of spiritual shape. We've allowed the weight of sin to ensnare us. We're not gaining ground in our run to win, but we remain stationary. Like my worst nightmare is running on a treadmill. I'm not going anywhere. Can't stand that. Writing to the Corinthians, Paul knew they were into sports. They were into the games, like our Olympic sports today. There are a lot of people that are running, but not a lot of people that are winning. The interesting thing here about what is said is that it's not a competition between your brother on your left or your brother on your right, because quite frankly, any runner knows, I don't look to my left, I don't look to my right. It's running your race to win. When people are dropping out, when people are falling, when people are turning around and running in the opposite direction, when people are going sideways... Listen to this. Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 2. Therefore, 
We also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so, listen to this, easily ensnares us. It easily ensnares us. It's not hard to get tripped up by sin. It is easy. It is simple. It is elementary. It is basic. He says, lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. That is the end zone. That is the end game. Right there. Looking unto so-and-so. No, it's looking unto Jesus. Did you know that Jesus is at the end zone line of everything that he's called you to do? If you keep your eyes focused on Jesus, he will walk with you and he will meet you exactly where you're at and he will get you from point A to point B. You run your race to win. You run your race. There's a lot of people running, but not a lot of people winning. There's a difference between the person out on a morning jog and a guy that's running to win. You know, in Irvine especially, I think it's nothing short than a miracle of God that you are here in a church in Irvine on Sunday morning. Because every morning I drive here and I see everybody out there. (laughs) You know, like that kind of thing. And there's a big difference between somebody that's out on a morning jog and someone that is training for something. The mentality is different. Even there's a difference, even as there's a difference between the phrase strolling along and running like the wind. We need that tenacious athlete mentality that we want to be the best that we can possibly be in our service to the Lord. My relationship with the Lord must take precedent over all other things. It's our identity to be in Christ. It's not I'm a businessman that happens to be a Christian, but rather I'm a Christian that happens to be a businessman. See, Olympic athletes are first an athlete, and everything they do is in light of that. That's their identity. Guys that are training for the Olympics, like everything I do from my sleep to my training to my supplements to my rest time to my sleep, my, two for sleep, definitely, and... Uh, Everything that they do comes from that position. So too the Christian is first a servant of the Lord and everything they do flows from that point on. Run in such a way that you may obtain the prize. Run in such a way that you may win. Run in such a way that you finish the race that God has set upon you well. Finish it well. And everyone, verse 25, who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. If you're really a competitor, you train and you work hard to win that perishable crown. In the games during Paul's days, the winner of the event would receive a wreath on his head. That crown was just a vine, branches and, and, and leaves that, was, that, that were woven together to make a, a wreath that would set upon the winner's head, the victor's head. That wreath was dead the moment they, dying the moment they snipped it off the vine. And they would train 
from history, it even tells us that you would have to train for 10 months straight in a certain way in order to even be considered to be a part of the Olympic Games. And they would do all of that just for that little wreath that would die and wither away and turn brown. They would work hard and they would train as none other to win a crown that didn't last. They would abstain from things in order to help prepare them for the challenges ahead. Sorry, no sugar. I'm not doing that. Sorry, I'm not going to eat that nice uh, slice of bread or whatever it might be. They exercised discipline. They remained focused and nothing interfered with their goal. For the Christian, that should be the same for us. So often, we're just kind of lackadaisical Christians. Yeah, we're running the race, but we're really out for a morning jog. We're strolling along, and we don't know where we're going or what's happening. We're, we're not focused like we should be. I love the metaphor that Paul is using. In Corinth, the second largest event was the Isthmian Games, and that was held in Corinth. It was second to the Olympic Games, so they knew very well what he was talking about. We need to lay aside those things that slow us down in our, work, in our walk with the Lord and in our work for the Lord. Because there's certain things that even right now you could probably say to yourself, that is not helping my walk with the Lord. Ah, oh, man. And I kind of like doing that too. But that's not helping my walk with the Lord. Lay aside every weight. Don't you realize there's a crown waiting for you? Don't you want to run to win? Don't you want to not be nominal? Don't you have a desire to fight for the prize? Because if we mistakenly think that the Christian life is a stroll, then we're in for a very rude awakening. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3-5, through 5, Therefore, you must endure hardships as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Because we're running for a crown that endures, it does not perish, Paul says in verse 26. Therefore, I run thus not with uncertainty, thus I fight not as one who beats the air. Now, there's so much uncertainty when it comes to what happens after this life. Everyone has an opinion about that. People will look back at their lives wondering if they made the right decisions, if they invested their time and resources properly. Oh, is it the right thing to do what I did? For the follower of Jesus, you can be absolutely certain that you're running in the right direction. Hey, go run on this race, and you have no idea what the right direction is. That's why the Word of God is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That's how I know the way that I'm going is right. I know that I'm investing in something that is going to lead to a crown that does not perish. Your faith is something that brings you personally to a place of certainty as to what happens after you die. When you are all in, so to speak, to following the Lord, then you will find that His path is straight and really it's fast forward on the inside track. So we're not running with uncertainty. 
I know where I am headed, and I know what I'm supposed to do because I have God's word. And everything about me revolves around that truth for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. And this word fight in the Greek literally means as somebody would box. One who beats the air is referring to one swinging away unconsciously, just haymakers in the dark and doesn't know where they're swinging and they're just all over the place flailing, spending energy without purpose, without certainty as to the target of each blow. As a follower of Christ, we're in a battle, but we know who our opponent is, don't we? We know who our opponent is, and we're not taking shots in the dark. Remember, the Isthmian games held in Corinth. Competitors trained for a crown that didn't last. In verse 27, Paul says, But I discipline my body, and I bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. That's a very heavy verse, isn't it? Lest when I preach to others, I myself should become disqualified. He says he disciplines his body. It literally means in the Greek to give a black eye. To give a black eye, a beating. To make it a slave to his spiritual man. So often, our spirit is controlled by the physical instead of our physical controlled by the spiritual. Paul made sure that his body served him, not the other way around. I serve my body and the bodily appetites. It's very easy. Remember the sin that so easily ensnares us? It's very easy to be controlled by the lust of the flesh. Bodily appetites can, and they do, completely control us, but it's not supposed to be that way. We have the power. We have the victory over the flesh because we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. I don't have to do those things anymore. I need to make sure that my body and its appetites are under the control of the Holy Spirit. Now, just to throw that out, this out there as, a, as just a side note, our bodies are not evil. Remember, the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which you are. You, inside you dwells the Holy Spirit. Some would beat their bodies, and throughout church history, we saw things that ought not to be, where uh, they were called flagellants, and people would whip and self-inflict pain on themselves in order to try to get their body, bodily appetites under their control, and that's not something you need to be doing. You don't need to whip yourself in order to uh, gain the power and victory over your flesh. You already have that through the power of the Holy Spirit. They would also seek to pay for their, their sins by flagellating themselves, whipping themselves as penance for their sin. No, when you confess your sin, God is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. It doesn't say, and when you whip yourself, God is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's wrong. That's not what Paul is implying here. He's exercising self-control. He's being sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit and even foregoing certain liberties in order to run the race to win. If we had that mentality, hey, if I'm running this race to win, I'll sacrifice certain things. 
I'll not do certain things because I want the edge. I want the advantage. I want to be the best version of me that I can. Paul exercised authority over his own body, lest when he had preached the power of the gospel to the others, he found himself disqualified by the very thing he preached God could give victory over. And that should cause all of us to take a step back and be like, wow, I live my whole life just to, at the end? I don't want that to happen. I read this in David Guzik's commentary as he quotes a commentator by the name of Clark, and I quote, this word for disqualified signifies such a person as the judges of the games. Reject as not having deserved the prize. So Paul himself might be rejected by the great judge, and to prevent this, he ran, he contended, he denied himself and brought his body into subjection unto his spirit and had his spirit governed by the spirit of God. And that's what we want. There's too many of us in the church that are not winning. We want to run the race to win. Maybe you've fallen. Get up, confess your sin, get back in the race, win it. Do what God's called you to do. Don't forget that the wins and the gains come through service unto the Lord and unto his people. As Paul said, I've made myself a slave of all men that I might win the more. And we want to see more souls won for the kingdom of heaven than are lost to the kingdom of darkness. And it's going to come through you and your willingness to step up and to do what God's called you to do. You can't sit there and say, well, what about this guy next to me? Hey, God will take care of that guy next to you who's talking to you right now. And so I pray that this hits home with you and I hope that this sinks in deeply and I hope that it not only sinks in deeply but that this seed of God's word falls on good soil that it brings forth much fruit in your life and that we see great things done through his people, through you, all for the glory of God. Remember, you control your body. Your body doesn't control you. Exercise the power and authority that you have through the Holy Spirit in your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you, Lord, for this time in your word. And Lord, I ask that you would please, God, help us, Lord, to exercise wisdom in our service to you. And Lord, that being all things to all men is being aware of the people that we're ministering to and what's going on with their lives. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be a servant of all. Help us, Lord, to do what is necessary so that after we preach the gospel that we would not fail. Lord, I ask that you would please encourage your sons and your daughters today to get involved, Lord, with what you've called them to get involved with, to make an impact, to make a change, to make a difference. I pray that we wouldn't be people that just play church. We go through the motions and we kind of punch our ticket and, and go about the rest of our week. I pray, God, that everything we, we do would flow from our identity in Christ, which means I am a Christian that happens to do these certain things. Even as an athlete, an Olympian, would say I'm an athlete and from that flows everything that I do. 
I ask God that you would help us to be a follower of Christ and may everything flow from that place. And Lord, we ask God that you would be glorified in your church with your people. And Lord, may your work be accomplished here in Irvine even as it is in heaven. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, amen.